0: Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Plants and gardens can have an enormous impact on our everyday lives. At PHS, they believe that a seed can be more than a plant and that gardening can be more than a hobby. PHS is working to plant with purpose and help build healthier communities. Learn more about involvement at phs.org impact. Welcome.
1: Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we continue with our focus on pruning as we warn you not to cut back your roses at this time of year and especially not your raspberries or you could miss most of the harvest. You'll find out all about it after a bunch of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Jason, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thanks. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing all right. It's a beautiful fall day out here. And where is out there? in uh, Pennsylvania, which is just northeast of Philadelphia. Right, right, right. Classy neighborhood there, Jace.
2: Well, you know, you try to live in the best place you can. (laughs) That's
1: that's why I never leave this studio. Yeah. Uh, All right, Jace, what can we do for you?
2: Well, um, my question, um, uh, my, my old raised beds are beginning to rot away, so I'm replacing them. And originally when I put them in, I put landscaping fabric in, which seems to have prevented the worms entirely from going up and down. Out of the beds and into the surrounding area, right? But I also have a lot of these. Um, you know, sort of the main issue is I have a lot of these fungal uh, diseases. Fusarium. I got uh, powdery mildew everywhere. I got um, you know orange spots on the hydrangeas and the dogwood. So um, my my quite my original question was, you know, do I just um, just get rid of all the uh, all the the dirt that was underneath these beds and just replace everything with, because I'm going to make the beds go a little deeper than I did the first time. But, um, you know, is that dirt that's under, that was underneath the landscaping fabric likely to have the, um, the uh, you know, the, those organisms in it? And um, what's the best way to, you know, present, prevent those things in all sorts of areas? So well, it's a big question, but, you know.
1: Okay. Okay. Um... You you are going to get rid of the landscape fabric, right?
2: Yes. Oh, yeah. That's uh, that was a sad, sad thing to do at the beginning. Well,
1: you know, if if we didn't make mistakes, we'd never learn. Oh,
2: that's true. Yeah, that so is so true. So,
1: does the garden get enough sun?
2: Well, um, it, it it gets kind of uh, the sun really starts to get in there uh, a little around noon. Of course, we had the derecho storm go right over our house last year, and. Mm-hmm a lot of trees are gone now so it's going to be getting that morning sun
1: now <laughs> <laughs> yeah free tree removal
2: yeah i did i i did read one of your old posts about tomatoes and how you want the tomatoes to get the morning sun and i of all the plants i planted this year two that were getting morning sun were the ones that weren't killed by uh by the whatever wilty thing that that kills the tomato plants
1: yeah i believe you said fusarium um, I would guess in your climate it's Verticillium wilt, but that's oh, yeah, yeah, th- that's yeah. caused by planting in the same spot year after year. Yeah.
2: Well, that was funny. One one of them I planted in a, in a new, uh, I you know, just made a new area. Mm-hmm. The four plants together, and one of them was doing great. It was a cherry tomato plant. We got a lot of cherry tomatoes, and all of a sudden this this uh, disease just raced up it and killed the plant. Um,
1: mm.
2: And you know, so okay. I was, Do you so anyways.
1: Do you water from overhead?
2: I try to always do it um, down at the bottom because I know that can cause problems.
1: Yeah, especially if you're not getting sun till noon. Now, yeah. th- this may be um, a, a wild statement, but uh, if this garden doesn't get morning sun and you're going to rebuild it anyway, is there a chance of just moving it?
2: Well, um, I'm the the these garden beds are inside of our pool fence, which is... Uh, you know, that's the place where I want to plant the stuff that the deer like. I have been experimenting with plant, Like that one tomato plant, I planted it in a completely different location.
1: And, mm-hmm.
2: and one out of uh, the four plants completely died. The other, two of the others, the ones that got the sun, are, you know, way taller than me at this point. So.
1: Does, uh, does do these plants get overflow of pool water when people are splashing around and stuff?
2: No, not at all.
1: Nothing like that. Okay. Um, and... Since you're planting inside a fence, inside a confined area, I gotta guess that the plants are crowded.
2: Um, they can be, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the the fence area is big, but the guard, the beds are kind of small. They're like, you know, three by six. Right, right. That's and not a big you tend size. to want to have more things than you probably should in the in the bed, but
1: you know. Well, uh, these all sound like symptoms of overcrowding to a large yeah. degree, and that's the hardest lesson to unlearn. But, yeah. you know, you can grow the same number of plants. Just put some of them in containers and make yeah. sure there's always airflow between the plants, especially if you're not getting morning sun. they got to get that airflow. They can't be falling over on top of each other. Uh,
2: okay. Well, that's good. That's a uh, uh, Discipline sounds like a great discipline
1: to learn. You will get more tomatoes from two plants that have a foot of airflow between them than from four plants that are all bunched together. Yeah, that's good to know, yeah. Now, in terms of uh, uh, this coming up, uh, well, first, yes, build the beds twice as high. I wouldn't worry about the soil down on the bottom because you're going to cover uh-huh. it up with, what, six, eight inches more?
2: Yeah, well, basically my plan is to sink the um, beds into the ground um, uh, about eight inches with some pavers that I've had for years. Excellent. And then put some black locust, um wooden beds that for the part that stick out of the ground.
1: Oh, that's excellent. I love yeah. black locust. It is one of the lesser used rot resistant woods.
2: Yeah. Okay. One of my nephew sells it. up. He has a farm up in in New York and he, he, he sells raised beds. So it seems like a great opportunity.
1: To oh man, I tell you, him. I'm serious here. I want to see a picture of, of these beds when they're done. Because, okay. you know, I have trex and I have cedar. I'd really like yeah. to see what black locust looks like in, in person, so to speak.
2: All right, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a photo, definitely.
1: So space them out more. There is a natural disease control. And it's so funny because it, it sounds like I'm making this up. Uh, but uh-huh. it's Bacillus subtilis. Oh, yeah, all right. And you might want to read up on that. and and quite possible spray the old soil before you put the new soil on top. Okay. Make sure the new soil has lots of compost and lots of perlite. Okay. You you want it to drain really well. Uh, Plants that, you know, stay wet till noon, they need every advantage they can get. Yeah. So you want to improve the drainage. You want to have compost on the top of the soil. And I would have the Bacillus subtilis uh, it sounds like a character on Huckleberry Hound. It really does, definitely. <laughs> um, handy, and at the first sign of any kind of disease, pull off those affected leaves, and and really spray the plants well.
2: All right, and uh, one other thing I'm getting a lot of is powdery mildew
1: everywhere, and I don't know if I, this year's particularly
2: bad, or you know, I, it's all over the place uh, in so many different plants.
1: Well, I, I you know, I feel bad, um, yeah, because I I don't <laughs> ever get disease. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's that idea. It's it's morning sun. Uh, yeah. And a powdery mildew. Is that the one that you spray uh, a milk solution on? That's right, yeah. Did you try that, a 10% solution in milk?
2: I tried that, and um, I think that maybe I wasn't on top. Next, next year I'm going to be really much more on top of it because it seems like this year it's so many different places. Whereas last year there was a few places, but it wasn't,
1: you know. Airflow, man, airflow yeah, is everything. Yeah. And I guess
2: uh, um, I, I, I have uh, I do some composting, but I don't have the volume that I think I probably need to just be. You know, redressing everything right. each year, you know, like all the shrubs and everything, should be getting compost. So I'm thinking of getting some. Yes, so you know, getting a load delivered. Of, yes, you know, maybe from PrimeX or some place like that.
1: Go to but, our website. Okay. Go to youbetyourgarden.org. Okay. Click on Answers to hundreds of your garden questions, and mm-hmm. you'll read articles on how to buy and test bulk compost.
2: Oh, that's a good. That's good.
1: Yeah. It'll be very helpful for you.
2: All right. Okay. And that Bacillus subtilis, would I get that from Gardens Alive if I want to buy it?
1: You can check around. If you just, uh, you know, type it into search engines till it tells you how to spell it correctly. And then see where you can find it.
2: All right. That sounds great.
1: Okay. Good luck, man.
2: Hey, thanks very much, and uh, thanks for being a great help with gardening.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Renee, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Renee. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. <laughs> ducky always likes to get some movement in there. Uh, <laughs> where is Renee Great. So I am
3: great in Hunterdon County, New Jersey.
1: What can we do you for?
3: I am completely new to gardening. I've been living in New York City in Manhattan for the last Thirty-five years, and I'm moving full-time to Hundred Inn um, in next spring.
4: Okay. So
3: I am at a complete loss when it comes to gardening or flowers, especially, and um, uh, a lot of shade in the front of the house, which is an area that I'd really like to spruce up. Right. So I'm just wondering what I could plant and what I could handle as a beginner.
1: Okay. Um, shade. How uh, You know, you say a lot of shade. Does that mean the sun don't shine there?
3: Um, I would say on half of the house, because of a very large uh, shade tree, mm-hmm. yeah, very, very little bit of uh, sun. And then the other half of the house, it is morning sun and quickly goes away.
1: Okay, and you're mostly interested in flowers?
3: I would say flowers, and uh, if there's any easy vegetable plants that you could advise for next year, uh, like I said, that I can, you know, being th- a beginner, I'm lost.
1: Yeah, well, uh, there are very few vegetables that will grow without, say, four hours of sun a day.
3: Well. The- I could do
1: that in the backyard. Oh, okay. And uh, how much sun do you get in the backyard?
3: Uh, Pretty much uh, all day.
1: Okay. All right. Good. So in the front of the house, you're going to plant the coward's shade garden, the holy trinity of hostas, which are perennials. So they'll come back year after year without you doing anything. Bedding begonias, um, which are annuals that you'll have to buy every year, and impatience, which are also annuals you have to buy every year. Now, you might want to scope out the nearest um, independent garden center, not a big box store. I hate when people tell me they buy their plants at Lowe's or something like that. These independent garden centers have been parts of their community for sometimes 100 years or more. So um, go to a garden center, tell them about your situation, and they may recommend a couple of other shade-loving plants. In the back, what I would suggest you do, um, do you have ownership of the house yet? Uh, Yes. Um, I would, right now, in the fall, when the weather is really sweet and you want to be outside, I would build uh, a couple of raised beds. Uh, Okay. No wider than four feet, but as long as you want. If you're handy, you can build them yourself. But there are many companies now who actually sell kits that are all designed to be just You know, nailed together, screwed together, dropped in the ground, and fill those uh, with a combination of good quality organic potting soil, um, peat moss, milled peat moss with a little bit of lime or wood ash uh, to even out the pH, and compost. And that way, when you get to the spring, you can put lettuce out for the early crop. You can grow peas for the early crop. Uh, When they start to fade, you can put in pepper plants, tomato plants, a couple of cucumbers. So what I would suggest you do is go to our website, go to youbetchourgarden.org, and go to where it says answers to all your garden questions, and read a little bit about shade-loving plants. But read quite a few of the Raised Bed articles. It'll really help you not to make mistakes early on, And if you start out, you don't want to be working in the soil that's already there. Is it an older uh, home? Yes. We have to presume there's lead in the soil from the paint that was used on the outside of homes over the years. That's one of the reasons we grow in raised beds, so that we're avoiding uh, the soil that's there and kind of making our own fabulous soil. So read up on raised beds, and then, um, you know, you should be able to find your way to springtime crops, summertime crops, and then fall crop. But um, you should have a great time. Don't worry about things that don't work. Uh, Don't worry about a little bit of failure. The best way to learn is to fail. But you, (laughs) believe me, I'm living proof of that. Uh, (laughs) But if you establish a nice relationship with your local independent garden center, they'll hold your hand the whole way. Oh, great. Great. I,
3: I have a couple of them around, and I will definitely go right to them. Thank you.
1: Excellent. All right. Good. Well, Ellen, Renee, where in Manhattan are you leaving?
3: Well, I've lived in the village all the whole time, and it uh, breaks my heart to leave, but,
1: oh, you know. I know. Yeah. I had a friend who had an apartment at Bleecker and Thompson, and um, that I used to stay at when I worked for Marvel Comics. And, you know, you could write a New Yorker article just walking down the block.
3: Yes, exactly, exactly. But the city has changed and, you know, just a little too tough to, to live there as you get older. And I'll be retiring soon and, uh, yeah, not, not a retirement-friendly place.
1: Yeah, and, and you got those great memories.
3: I do. I do, though. So I'll be a New Yorker in exile.
1: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, you'll always be a New Yorker if you spent 30 years in the village. All right, right, exactly. All right, good luck to you.
3: Thank you so much.
1: Well, it's time for me to take a little break and warn everybody out there that mosquito breeding season is not over. In fact, the females are getting more aggressive now in search of a final blood meal before they begin to hibernate. But don't go not getting bit just yet, because we'll be right back with pruning do's and don'ts and more of your doobie phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Coming up later in the show, how do you control a rambling rose? And why would it be the worst thing in the world to cut back your raspberry canes after they produce their first fruit? We'll reveal the answers after some more revealing phone calls at 833-727-9588. Alexis, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. We
4: live in Ozark, Missouri.
1: What can (laughs) we do for you, Alexis?
4: Well, we really need some help here in Ozark. Uh, Our lawn needs to be leveled and seeded and to get it ready for spring because right now it is a mess.
1: Okay. Do you know what kind of a lawn you have? Because you could theoretically grow either a cool-season lawn or a warm-season lawn.
4: That is a great question. Um, I don't know. I'm assuming it's fescue.
1: And other than the fact that it the land wasn't leveled first, do you like the fescue? Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, yes. I, I would like it better without the weeds and the uh, dandelions.
1: You know, luckily, you have a very long growing season where you are. Which, okay. which gives you a little bit more time. Um, how big is the lawn?
4: The part we're talking about is our backyard. It's probably 80 feet by 100
1: feet. Okay, so significant but not um, impossible. Right. If you want to do fescue, what you would do is, and this is probably something you'd want to hire somebody to do, uh, till it all up and <laughs> rake away as much of the old green matter as you can. But you don't have to be you know, too final about it. Um, there's always going to be some green stuff left behind. Just do the best you can. And then the important thing is leveling. Um, It is the step that many people miss when they install a new lawn. And it is one of the most important, as you seem to almost instinctively realize, have the lawn leveled. And, again, you can have this done professionally uh, if you want. And then, yes, uh, seed and uh, full sun out back? Yes. That was hesitant. Uh,
4: Well, okay, so the back fence has... Trees and probably around 4 p.m., uh, the yard begins to uh, from the back toward the house get shaded to become shade. Yeah,
1: okay. Well, that's not bad, that's not bad at all. Okay, what you would do then is pick a named fescue, which means the bag will have several levels of branding on it, it'll have the manufacturer and then it will have the actual name of the grass, something like Rebel 2 Fescue. And it's important to buy a named variety because one of the issues with fescue, which may have led to your weed problems, is a clumping grass. It is a clumping grass. It's not a running grass. So it is the best turf for heavy foot traffic, and for ease of maintenance. But if it gets a bare spot, it can't fill it in again. So you want to always have um, the name of the seed. And every couple of falls, sometime in September, you should sow fresh seed in any kind of bare spots or anything like that. And it's not because anything was wrong, it's just the nature of the grass. So, Till it all up, rake away as much of the green material as you can, but again, don't get too fussy about it. Have it leveled perfectly. Sow the seed over top, and then ideally, if you could, just uh, a very thin layer of soil or potting mix or something like that to cover the seed, but then do not put down a straw mat or any nonsense like that. Just Um, water it for like 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night. The grass should come up within five to six days um, at this time of year. And then after that, you're only gonna water it when you go a week without rain. And once the grass is established, uh, it'll be a long, deep watering. But this time of year, cool season grass is gonna grow very well. Starting out like this, I would not have any starter fertilizer in there. The seed contains its own fertilizer. So the first time you'd want to give this lawn any kind of a feeding would be in the spring. Until then, it's feeding itself. That's 90% of the seed is actually food. Oh, nice. It's a little bit of work, and because of the size there, you know, depending on how you feel about, you know, your arms shaking for 12 days after you're done. <laughs> you, might want, you might want to have the tilling and the leveling done professionally, but the rest of it you could do easily.
4: Now, would we till everything, even the sections that are already leveled?
1: If you're certain you can match the grass that's out there with the new seed, you can do patchwork. And the sections that are level, they don't have weeds in them? Uh, Oh, no, yes, they do. Oh, okay, yeah, no, just tear it up and do it over.
4: Okay, okay, yeah, we're great at growing weeds here.
1: Yeah, exactly, it's like you get a new refrigerator in your kitchen, and all of a sudden, everything else looks really old.
4: Exactly, yes, (laughs) and then, okay, so in the corner, since I'm tilling everything, um, I need a fast growing something to hide a utility box.
1: How high is the utility box?
4: Oh, it's like three by three, it's in the corner, in the back corner, and it's
1: completely visible you know what i would do Uh, you know people drive themselves crazy trying to hide things like this with plants Mm -hmm. just put Mm -hmm. some ornamental fencing around it oh
4: easier yeah
1: yeah you don't have to worry about the plant dying or this or that just put a little fence around it that that covers it up okay
4: great yeah easy
1: peasy take the easy way out
4: I like it, yes, and my husband will like it even
1: more. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have enough work with the lawn, but you should do well. <laughs> yes. If if you have questions, go to our website, um, go to org, click on the link that says answers to all your garden questions, and type in new lawn. That will walk you okay. right through the process.
4: Perfect. Okay, thank you.
1: All right, good luck to you. Patrick, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, hello, Mr. McGrath. It's a pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well, all things considering. Yeah, exactly. When uh, when I'm in a store and the clerk asks, how you doing? I go, same as everybody else. <laughs> exactly. All right, where are you, man? I'm in Muncie, Indiana. Oh, Okay, great. Nice to hear from yep. you. What can we do? Yeah. For Patrick in Muncie.
5: Well the front of my house, I have two flower beds that are like the, the focal point of my front yard. Right, And I have these beautiful hydrangeas. All summer long, they produced big, beautiful blooms, the foliage was lush and green, until mm-hmm. about the second week in August, when these dark brown, ugly spotches start appearing.
1: There is actually a technical term for this, and I'm not making this up because I'm not smart enough. Uh, But it's called hydrangea leaf spot. Generally, it's caused by uh, too much moisture, too crowded, the plants, um, or overhead water.
5: Well, it has been awfully humid. Would that make a difference?
1: Yeah. How many plants do you have out there? Eight. How long have they been in the ground?
5: Oh, since about mm, April, March,
1: April. Oh, they're brand new.
5: Yeah, I put them out this year. Because I, oh. I had hydrangeas at my old house. And when I moved into this one, I missed them, so I planted a bunch of new ones. And they've been doing fine so far until that happened.
1: Okay. So the plants are new. Um, what have you fed them, if anything? I have
5: not fed them anything because they seem to be doing so well without anything. So I didn't want to, you know...
1: Spoiler. Are they mulched? They are not mulched. It's just it's pure black dirt. I have hydrangeas as well. They're really not in the perfect spot. I think their soil s- stays too wet. I'm assuming you have fairly good drainage where these plants are?
5: I have excellent drainage, and I don't think too wet is the problem because we've had some dry spells where I've had to actually turn on the soaker and let them soak.
1: And you're watering them from below? Uh, yeah, on the, from the ground, yeah. I give up. I give up. You, who, who, who told this guy to call in? Uh, Sorry. Um, no, I mean, uh, you're, you're stumping the chump here. You're doing everything right. And their first-year plants went in in April. Are they in a crowded condition where there's a lot of trees or anything else like that? No, not at all. The spots are only on the leaves, right, not the flowers. Correct. And it doesn't seem to have affected the blooms because the blooms are still big
5: and less and beautiful.
1: Describe exactly what the spots look like. you know what a Rorschach blot is? Oh, yeah. That's what
5: they look like. It's like somebody just, like, dropped ink on them and they just so, splattered.
1: So what do you see when you look at the spots? Do you see a happy couple? Do you see a bat? You-
5: <laughs> I see a rotting fire plant.
1: <laughs> oh, man. You're killing me. You're killing me here. <laughs> Do you have access to compost, either your own or purchasable? Yeah, purchasable. I'm going to suggest you mulch these hydrangeas with an inch or two of good yard waste compost, not composted manure. It's not its not any kind of rust. It's not a reddish discoloration or anything like that. Yeah, but- it's, it's rusty, dark brown, splotchy. And there's nothing uh, like a tree overhanging it where aphids would drop soot down on the leaves. No, there's nothing over it but the eaves. Okay, so uh, two inches of compost. Really clean the, quote, forest floor. Uh, When all the leaves are down, get all the old leaves out of there. They're not going to do anything good for the plant. You can leave the dried flowers up for winter interest or you can bring them inside. Okay in the spring, refresh the compost with another inch. And then Alrighty. as the hydrangea begins to grow, keep an eye out. If these spots appear before you start to see a lot of flower buds, get a copper spray at a local independent garden center and spray, uh-huh. and spray copper. If, if you're concerned that this is gonna happen every year, you might wanna even have that in hand and do well,
5: it to tell. Like I said, I just put them in. It's a new house. Right. A new, it's a new garden. So so the first time it's happened.
1: Compost. And then I want you to prune the hydrangeas the way I always advise, which is you leave them alone until all the flower buds have formed. Then you go in with a pair of pruners and take out non-flowering branches. This makes it look like you have more flowers, it also opens up the plant to better airflow. All
5: right. No, I should do that in the spring when they first bloom or in the fall when they start to go?
1: No, no, no pruning in the fall whatsoever. You're going to leave them alone. And yes, in the late spring, when all the, the flower buds have appeared and you know what's going to flower and what's not, you can remove any of the branches that don't look like they have buds on them. It's good for the plant, and it's good for the display.
5: Well, I can do that. Thank you so much, and thank you for taking my call.
1: Avi, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
6: Thank you very much. We live uh, in West Point, Virginia, between Richmond and Williamsburg.
1: So what can we do for you?
6: I have a hibiscus plant that's been in the ground for about, uh, this is its third or fourth year, Mm -hmm. and it did quite well at the the first couple of years, but this year it has just gotten really, really sick. It started out giving nice blooms, Mm -hmm. and actually I'm sitting here looking at it and it has three beautiful blooms on it, but the leaves are yellow and they're falling off, and I don't know what to do with it.
1: Now, is this uh, a hardy hibiscus like Rose of Sharon?
6: Uh, well, it's made it through uh, three or four winters, so uh-huh. I would say yes.
1: What color are the flowers? Red. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna suggest that you have a Rose of Sharon. That is the most popular um, hardy hibiscus uh, going. And they're generally very tough plants. So I guess I'll just ask you a couple of basic questions. Have you fed the thing?
6: Uh, Yes. I started it in the early spring this year, and I gave it some Miracle-Gro along with my other plants. Uh, And then it started looking sick, and uh, I noticed it had some aphids on it, so I sprayed it with some homemade garlic stuff, Mm -hmm. which I hope that didn't hurt it. I thought maybe it might have. But uh, as the summer went on, I gave it some bone meal and uh, worked it into the soil around the bottom, mm-hmm. and and I, that's about all I've done to it. Okay.
4: It's
1: in,
6: pretty, it's in pretty good soil. Everything else seems to be doing very well around it.
1: Excellent. Um, and is it mulched with anything? Pine needles. Excellent. Pine straw, really, where you are. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I love pine straw mulch. Here in the north, everybody uses this chipped up trash wood that's been spray painted some ungodly color. Uh, But as you you move further south, as you and I know, you see this beautiful pine straw mulch that has the kind of reddish tinge to it. it. It's just gorgeous.
6: Yes, we use it all around our house. We get it free off the golf course
1: right behind us. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, yes. I've seen that. I've seen people out there raking it up.
6: Well, that's what we do every fall.
1: Oh, well, you can't find a better mulch, really. It's just as good as my shredded leaves. Yes. Okay, so here's my guess about what happened. Uh, miracle Grow is a chemical fertilizer um, that is very fast acting. So when you put miracle Grow down around the base of a plant, it has to use it all. It can't say no. And what okay. happens is that causes lush, green, unnatural growth. And that growth is like candy on a string to aphids. Aphids absolutely love um, chemical fertilizers like miracle Grow. And then what happens is the aphids can transmit disease to the plant and cause the leaves to turn yellow and you know not look happy. But the miracle grow itself could do that. I have never fed my rose of Sharon. It's been outside my house for 25 years. And it is one of those plants that really likes being left alone. So okay. what I will suggest is is ditch the chemical feeding. There was nothing wrong with the bone meal, but you won't see the effects of bone meal until the following year when it may help induce some more flowers for you. But I think if if you just let the rain rinse out the fertilizer, everything should be fine. You know, keep using the um, pine straw to keep the soil cool. And if uh, aphids show up, the best cure for them is to get a hose nozzle that has like a laser beam setting you know where it hurts your hand and okay. and then just blast them off of the plant it is so emotionally satisfying to see <laughs> to see these millions of little sapsuckers go flying <laughs> and in studies at european universities they found that just the action of the, of the water blasting them off the plant killed 95% of the aphids okay very good thank you so much well, it's time for me to take a little break and warn all of you lawn lovers out there that this is still primetime grub season. So choose your weapon. You can use milky spore disease, beneficial nematodes, or the new grub Hall, natural grub control form of B.T. Just don't go heading for your garden center just yet because we'll be right back with pruning do's and don'ts and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
2: Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com.
1: Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll have some important information about pruning your roses correctly and reveal how you can get two crops of raspberries from the same cane if you don't do something foolish right now. We'll get to that after a couple more of your foolish phone calls at 833-727-9588. Suzanne, welcome to You Bet Your Gardening.
7: Well, thank you. I'm, I, you are my guru, so <laughs> this is a treat to talk to
1: you. All right, so we're we're not going to talk gardening, right? We're just going to learn meditation skills. <laughs>
7: okay. Um, yeah, that's
1: exactly <laughs> it. Um, oh, where, where are you, Suze? I'm in Willamette
7: Valley. I'm about 35 miles southwest of Portland.
1: Okay. In Oregon. In, in, or- in Oregon. One country. And right. pronounce the valley again? Well, you would say Willamette, but it's Willamette we pronounce it up here. That's a big... I was corrected
7: very quickly when I moved up here. (laughs) Right.
1: So that's a big grape growing region, isn't it?
7: Oh, I'm sitting here overlooking the vineyards right now. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, Oregon and Washington State, I mean, they're they're up-and-comers in the fine wine categories.
7: Oh, the, the wines are terrific. Expensive, but they're terrific.
1: Okay. All right. Well, what can we do uh, for you up there in Oregon? Well,
7: um, I save seeds. I do this a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was going through my lettuce seeds, trying to shake them into a bowl, and it opens all these wigglies in there, little tiny wigglies, as I shook off the seeds, and I thought, I don't know what to do with them. I don't know if I should put these on the compost or burn them. or I'm not <laughs> them, I can't do that now, but um, put them in my trash right now. they're in, I think my seeds are ruined because I put them in a tightly closed trash bag. I didn't want them in the house. So I don't know what to do. I don't know if these are good, bad, or indifferent. And the same thing with my compost bin. You talked about bugs in the compost bin the other day, but some of them look like, suspiciously like they might be maggots. I don't know. So I don't know whether I can what to do.
1: <laughs> okay. So let's start with the seeds. You let your lettuce plants quote go to seed, produce flowers right. and then little seed heads. And when you collected the little seed heads, they were infested?
7: Well, yeah, they appear to be. Uh, when I was shaking trying to shake the seed, seeds into a bowl, there were just yeah, there was just loads of these tiny little little wiggly bugs.
0: Okay. I don't
7: know if they were cabbage worms or little baby ones or, or what. So I don't
1: know what to do. No, no, they wouldn't be. Cabbage worms are, are fairly large. They could even be some form of a thrip. Um, they're really small. And did you stop and see to make sure these weren't on the outside of the seed pods?
7: Oh, you can't really They're so, this, the seed heads are so small, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't see. I didn't think, I don't have a magnifying glass, so have sure, taking a picture and
1: blow it up, I don't know how to tell. Okay, so what I go- would suggest is what a lot of people do with the beans they harvest, um, both for seed saving and for making uh-huh. soups and stews over winter, and that's uh, collect all these seeds and bugs and put them in a freezer for a week. Oh, and, okay. And then... When uh, when you're ready to take them out, do a germination test. Just check a couple of the seeds to make sure they're still viable. Um, but that kills the bugs and it, uh, uh, almost never harms any of the seeds.
7: Oh, really? I would think the freezing would. I, I know I'd put my rice and that sort of thing in the freezer. But, okay, so it won't hurt
1: the seeds. Yeah, and don't forget that these... So-called doomsday seeds are being kept preserved at like hundreds of degrees below zero.
7: Oh in, yeah up in Norway we're in, in, and in And at the base.
1: University of Pennsylvania, I had the privilege of looking at their doomsday collection. and you know the numbers up on the monitors were insane. but uh, wow. they, they know how to do this. Now, as to the as to the worm-like creatures in your compost bin, this is not at all unusual. Is there a lot of fruit and vegetable matter in your compost? Oh, yeah. Is yeah, it, I
7: put all my kitchen scraps in there.
1: And is it uncovered?
7: No, it's in one of those drums. I have uncovered ones, but I don't put my vegetable waste in there. I just put things from my garden and stuff around the yard. But this one, because I'm, we've got enough trouble with critters around here without having Oh, them. yeah, that's yep. right. Yeah. So what I do is I go next door to the neighbor and get her—she has compost of grape seeds. Right. And it's very acidic, but it's loaded with red wigglies. So I get some of those, and I throw them in the compost bin.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: I don't know if they survive, but <laughs> it's the only way I'll get any worms in there.
1: Oh, okay, right, right, because uh, obviously a sealed tumbler uh, doesn't have ground contact. Well, you right. you know, you may be in luck what I want you to do after we're done this talk is go online and look at images of an insect called the robber fly. Robber lie? Robber, like somebody who breaks into your house yeah. and, and fly like with wings.
7: Oh, fly. Oh, that,
1: okay. Um, robber fly. Yeah, the robber fly has a very distinctive looking larval stage. It doesn't look like a Uh, a housefly maggot, for lack of a better word. It's almost kind of armored a little bit. And Mm. every time I've had, quote, maggots, which is the correct term in my compost, they've turned out to be robber flies. And they are incredibly beneficial insects to have around. Oh, good. Good,
7: good. Well, I do encourage that. One of the reasons I let my plants go to seed is because it gives me more pollinators Coming to the garden. I have flowers in there and I get let just anything that goes to flower I let it let it go and the ber- the bees have a field day.
1: It's oh great. yeah. The tiny little flowers that appear on things like lettuce are a boon to really small native bees. They can get in there and get the pollen and nectar.
7: Oh, and they do. They're buzzing around there all the time. That in my college they just went, went crazy for those.
1: All right, so I would say there's nothing wrong. If it does turn out to be fly larvae. Um, I think just keep turning the thing, heating it up with some coffee grounds, and, uh, you know, if, if they metamorphosize, they'll die inside there.
7: Okay, all right, great. Well, thank you very much. I so love your show, and I pre- I listen to it all the time. <laughs> when I'm out gardening, I put my headset on, and there you are, talking to me all the way.
1: <laughs> all right. Very good. Nice to hear that. Thank you so much.
7: Oh, one quick question. Did you try the garlic paste? Paste? I sent you a recipe of the garlic paste.
1: No, no. I did all my garlic um, in into garlic powder this yeah. year. Okay. So I, I'm sticking with what I know.
7: <laughs> okay. All right. Hey, thanks, Mike. You've, 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 I raised two hundred heads of garlic this year. Thanks to your advice. So oh, I very happy with that.
1: It's fabulous, isn't it? All right.
7: Thank you. You have a great day, and I appreciate talking to you.
1: Me too. Bye bye. As promised, it is time for the question of the week: When to prune raspberries and roses? Mary in Cherry Hill, New Jersey writes, I have a lovely but overgrown Constance Spry climbing rose that I'd really like to cut back right now. It's wild and has broken its support. I want to know if I can cut it back this winter to around 18 inches from the ground and then train it on a much stronger arbor. What would you suggest? Thanks. Hey, thank you for bringing up Constance Spry. The famed flower arranger had more accomplishments—nurse, head of the Irish Red Cross, World War II victory garden expert, and domestic science instructor, to name a few—more than I have fingers and toes, in fact. Her shop, Flower Decoration, was the go-to place in the UK for unusual and striking floral decorations and her name was attached to the very first David Austin Rose introduction, thus launching his famous English Rose series. The Constance Spry Rose is a fragrant double-flowered pink rambler often described as lanky, which is a term that seems to invite pruning. Luckily, our Mary seems to know that this time of year is the worst time to prune anything. As Constant spry surely knew, pruning stimulates growth. Pruning in the fall stimulates growth just as the plant is trying to go dormant, sucking vital energy out of the root system. And with winter weather to be expected at any time, that lush new growth could freeze solid, effectively ending the need for further pruning. And there's always the risk of a cold, windy winter without good snow cover. Snow is good for plants. It insulates the crown, protecting the plant against wild temperature swings. Without the wonderful natural insulation some gardeners call God's mulch, the top of the plant is likely to suffer some winter damage from wind and desiccation. Plants that are unpruned going into winter have a lot of biomass to lose without harming the plant long term. Plants that have been neatly pruned down to six inches or so are certain to join the choir invisibule, again, avoiding the need for further pruning. So put those pruners away and don't listen to so-called experts that urge you to clean up your garden in the fall. The only cleaning up you need to do is suck and shred your fall leaves for mulch and compost making. Back to Constance, the dead of winter, The dormant season is a perfectly acceptable time to prune things that are not spring bloomers. But it's not the best time. Let's say we cut back this wandering rose in January and one of those freaky winter warm spells arrives, wakes up the rose, and is followed by freezing cold with no snow cover. The health of this rose is now threatened in half a dozen different ways. So it's better to wait until spring specifically about two to three weeks after the rose and your other plants have greened up and all chance of a hard frost is in your rearview mirror. And 18 inches seems a bit dramatic to me. This rose is a Great Dane, and trying to turn it into a dachshund isn't going to make anybody happy. I'd leave much more of it standing, at least four feet. Why? This rose only blooms once a year. And you're gonna get the most roses if the plant hits the ground running with a good amount of biomass in the spring. At least it's only supposed to bloom once a year. I would deadhead the spent flowers promptly and see if we can rewrite that catalog page. Then prune it back every other spring and it should be less destructive, but it will always be a rambling rose. Side note, roses thrive with a mulch of compost, Wood mulches invite diseases to attack. We move on to Lillian Milwaukee, who writes, How and when do I prune my raspberries? They're growing crazy. Hey, they're supposed to. Raspberries are like Labradors and Border Collies. They can't sit still. Prune only dead wooden canes in late spring, early summer, next year. Not beforehand. Canes that appear to be dead in the winter might just be dormant and may bear a lot more berries in the spring. For most varieties, it works like this. New canes sprout in the spring and grow all season long. Six to eight feet of length is perfectly normal. At the end of the growing season, big juicy raspberries will appear at the tips of those canes. Do not prune these first year canes, although it's always a good idea to prune off the spent berry clusters. The following spring, a new run of green canes will sprout from the ground, but the previous year's canes that you have spared will green up and clusters of berries will appear all along the length of those canes. This second-year harvest is always much larger than the previous year. After harvest, second-year canes will start to visibly die off with yellowing leaves and brittle canes evident by midsummer. Now you can prune out those canes at ground level, and it gives the raspberry patch a much cleaner look and encourages the growth of new canes. Another side note, never feed a raspberry patch with potent fertilizers. The canes provide the best harvest in poor soil, to which a little bit of compost has been added. That sure was some good information about controlling raucous ramblers now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read those instructions over at your leisure or your leisure, because the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be, YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you'll always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to prune my spring bloomers if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse, teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. And please include your location. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to many of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio and Television in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Louis Pasteur, Marie Curie, and that guy who invented Listerine. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Joni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director of direction Is Javier Diaz Our occasional cameraman Is Jeff Frederick And or Eric Warner If Zach Datak Is in the house Can gentleman John Flynn Be far behind Ah but you can bet That our fabulous CEO Tim Fallon Is late for a meeting I'm your never late for dinner Host Mike McGrath And I'll see you again After I clean my plate Next week
0: Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Plants and gardens can have an enormous impact on our everyday lives. At PHS, they believe that a seed can be more than a plant and that gardening can be more than a hobby. PHS is working to plant with purpose and help build healthier communities. Learn more about involvement at phs.org impact.
1: Leaves fall but once a year, but when they fall they bring good cheer. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll discuss the many ways you can utilize nature's perfect gift for mulch, compost, and more, plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.